Boom, put boom, 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 Welcome back to another episode of A Side B Side Podcast. What's going on, Adam? Not too much. I guess this means we're starting. Yes, we're starting. <laughs> Be ready. What are you drinking? Some Mountain Dew, and you were like, look, look, look. Oh, hey. I was. I was like, I was like halfway through a gulp, and then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, that's my name. I should speak. <laughs> so before we get into it, but of course, this is episode twenty-three. So we've got part two of. Go ahead, say it. I know you want to. You're dying to say Kill it. Miss. I was practicing like a lot. It sounded so much better in the shower. My dog's a little concerned. Well, you, in the shower, you Pro- have, like, probably the probably the neighbors too. Yeah, like, yeah. Why do I keep Why do I keep hearing "kill miss"? What is going on? <laughs> they're like they're about to call the cops on you. Yeah, I hope not. I think my upstairs neighbors left, uh, which that's kind of nice because they were some heavy steppers. But then I found out that my downstairs neighbors think I'm a heavy stepper. Oh, which... they told you that? Oh yeah, yeah. We had a we had a conversation. Oh wow, uh, the way you said that was like oh oh, oh oh they said some things. I said some. Things. Oh, there was there have been several passive aggressive emails to building management on both sides of the issue. Oh, uh, so so we're getting real Minnesota nice up here. In in Minnesota, we claim it's Minnesota nice. It's just Minnesota passive aggressive. Like, <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people repurpose. I love that journey for you in the last six months oh, no. because it's so Minnesotan. It really is. It's oh, like wow. just condescending and and. But oh yeah, that's 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 so nice for you. But. So what have you been watching this week? Because you're still, you guys are still uh, technically locked down, right? So you're still kind of doing the whole um, yeah. pickup yep. uh, for four hours. We got a, we got another a little uh, press conference today from the governor that some things are reopening, but not completely. And for the restaurant industry, great news. Uh, we can now do outdoor dining in, in Minnesota, Minnesota in December. Right. And the thing is, People will come, Ray. People will come. We will have people outside uh, eating in parkas because they just want to. Uh, so it'll happen. And now, uh, it's starting this weekend. Do you think they'll do like the whole setup, the tent setup with the heaters and everything? Uh, we cannot have enclosed spaces is the way it's been explained to me. So we can have heaters, but you cannot have like four walls and a roof. So Which- you may be able to have like a roof right not walls yeah because that's what i don't understand when i see like all these outdoor like dining i'm like it's just because you put it in your parking lot and put walls on it it's no longer outside you've enclosed it yeah now you've just made a really poor building (laughs) like (laughs) like you have made a bad building it is now cold (laughs) it has no electricity uh there are no facilities there's no circulation it's like you've just made the worst building like and the funny thing is people will flock to it it's like if you use that if that was your only place like a year ago people would be like why are we sitting in a tent in december with some heaters because all of this sounds like a fire hazard but But now now people people are are like like, yeah outdoor dining i'm in i'm yeah this is my favorite we're gonna do this all winter so uh yeah we're still Still locked down. Uh, we heard that maybe some gyms will be reopening. So 
uh, you know, I can't skip leg day, even though I've skipped it consecutively for 40 years. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to have to deal with that. So I don't know. I, I did uh, last week. I accidentally signed up for a 5K again. Wow. How do you accidentally yeah. sign up for a 5K? Like you just uh, slipped and hit submit? Uh, how does that work? So past Adam was feeling adventurous and I will phrase it in the spirit of good humor. I decided it was a good idea. And then in the next morning when the spirit had worn off, I realized that I had signed up for a 5k called the reindeer run, which will be a virtual 5k, which is I think worse because then at least if there was like a event, I could be around other people and you get that camaraderie and you get some excitement and you're all in this together. Uh, instead, it's just going to be me walking or jogging or walk running a 5K by myself uh, sometime in the next two weeks between uh, Christmas and, and my birthday. So it'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. But I get a t-shirt. So basically what you're saying is when you said this, how did you say it? You said when the spirit wore off. Uh, in, the spirit, in, in a spirit of good humor. Yeah. When the spirit yeah. wore off. So basically you what were having some beers and you're like, oh, this will be funny. Uh, I thought, you know what? I, I can do this. This looks great. I like, I like reindeers. Reindeers? Deer? Reindeer eye? Reindeer. reindeer? Is rain, reindeer. reindeer is the plural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meat talk pretty one day. Um, <laughs> and I just signed up for it. I think it was one of those things where I put it in my cart and then I thought I didn't hit submit, but then I did hit submit, which I mean, really is, is kind of just a metaphor for most of my life. <laughs> So what have you been watching during this time? Uh, I've been watching Avenue 5, which is on HBO Go. Because if we've talked many times and you keep reminding me, I do have HBO Go or yes. Max or whatever whatever the thing is. Because I signed up for it to watch the Stuber movie like yes. five, five months ago. And I've been paying for it ever since and forgot. Uh, and so I went on thinking, oh, I'm going to watch, you know, one of these many series that Brooke has told me about. And then I saw that there was this sort of dark comedy starring Hugh Laurie about a space uh, cruise ship that gets knocked off course. And Josh Gad is in it. And the guy from the who played the bad guy in the Ghostbusters reboot uh, with Kristen Wiig and Megan McCarthy is in it. And I just kind of fell into it. I watched the entire season. At first, it was really good. And then I realized that I was just sort of watching it because I want because I'm a completionist. I like to finish things. Yeah. And and then I was just I was like I'm just watching it because I know there's only two episodes left. And it 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 was good at the beginning, and then it kind of hit some bumps along the way. And by the end, it really just felt like they were doing the same thing, mm -hmm. just trying to get to the end of season one. They didn't want to actually resolve anything. So they kept putting like new roadblocks for the characters to deal with. And then the cliffhanger is like not really a cliffhanger because they've had so many different sidesteps that like at that point you're like, okay, whatever. They screwed up again. It, it kind of wants to be like the office in space. And in fact, there's one guy from the office, the guy from the thing, like he's the guy who comes in after like the new HR guy at one point. Uh, Zach Helms? Woods is oh. his name. Oh, no. tall guy, real tall, skinny guy. Tall guy, yeah, tall, skinny guy, sort of like really sad face. Like, yes, you feel like he's seen some stuff that he doesn't want to talk about. Also, in the in the Ghostbusters movie as well, there's got to be some overlap there uh, <laughs> because 
he was also in that movie. I don't know what's going on, but he's in it. But again, it it just felt like by the time they got to the end of the season, it was like, whoa, come on, let's 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 go here. This is we're not actually moving the plot further at all. Uh, so it it was funny at first and kind of meh. And uh, I'm not breathlessly awaiting season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, however. Because I am a completionist, I will watch all of season two. Because no, you won't. now I'm in. You have HBO Max again by the time season two comes out. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I, I probably will. <laughs> season three will be out, and you'll be like, and I'll be talking about something on HBO Max, and you go, "Oh yeah, I do have that, don't I?" Yeah, I should I should probably like subscribe to that, and you'll be like, "You've already, you've been subscribed for three years out of it." <laughs> all because all because you wanted to watch Stuber. So, so this is like, did you ever, did anyone ever do that whole like $5,000 burrito thing with credit cards to you? No. So when, when I was in high school, and this is how our high school explained like the dangers of credit card debt was that you'd buy, like you'd be hungry for this burrito and then you'd buy it, but then you wouldn't pay it off right away. And then it would accumulate and accumulate and the interest that, you know, over time, the interest gets interest and it compounds and it compounds and compounds. And by the time you finally pay it off, you'll have spent like $5,000 on that burrito. Uh... And I was always like, maybe it was worth it. Because one, I'm bad at money. Burrito. And two, I love burritos. So I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe. That. HBO Go Max Plus, whatever it's called, uh, in its many incarnations, that's the Stuber is going to be the most expensive. No, the second most expensive movie I've ever bought. Uh, because Drive Angry, the Nicolas Cage escapes from hell uh, in a souped up hot rod movie, I bought accidentally from Redbox. Meaning I rented it from Redbox and then I took so long to return it. I took so long to return it. And it was on a credit card that I had forgotten about. And that credit card expired. And so when I finally got the new one and I went to rent a new Redbox, five years later, (gasps) Redbox had just been lying in wait for me to reactivate that account on that card. Whoa. And it was like, it was like a... $80 $80 charge for the movie. And if you've ever seen Drive Angry starring Nicolas Cage, uh, it's not worth $80. But I've watched it a lot because, gosh darn it, I'm going to get my money's worth out of that movie. You bought uh, that yeah. movie like 12 times over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Redbox does not mess around. They're like, they'll charge you, they'll charge you, they'll charge you. And then it's like, okay, now you bought the movie. And we're going to charge you like 60 bucks for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I have three Redbox movies that I have purchased in this way. Okay. You don't need, stop going to Redbox. Oh no. I have not gone to Redbox in like five years. Once I figured out what happened. You probably have another movie out. I probably do. (laughs) It's probably on some bank account I'm not using anymore. And then like in 10 years, I'll get like a, some like skip trace. I'll show up at my door. He's like, you owe us $200 for this romantic comedy starring Reese Witherspoon. I'm like, okay. So I, I mean, Redbox is going to be one of those things that people talk about and kids are going to be like, what's that? Yeah, just like cassettes. Or like Blockbuster, yeah. Hollywood video. Like I remember having impassioned arguments with my friends about whether Blockbuster or, or Hollywood video was a better option. 
and the outcome? I, I, I believe I was always on the side of Hollywood video, but uh, I think it's just because I really, I like their whole motif. You'd go in and they would have all like the, the stars, like the action, like the movie star pictures on the walls where as Blockbuster was all just really blue and yellow. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like a low rent Best Buy. Okay. I failed to mention that I did finally finish Murder on Middle Beach which Mm. that last episode the whole series is very emotional because it's the story of this young man trying to he's basically doing a documentary about the murder of his mom and he does Mm. a really good job on it it's 10 years in the making and every he, he does such a good job because he says talk to me like it's you know don't act like it's me just tell me the story which has to be really hard for people, you know, talking about their best friend or their sister or something and her, her murder and not just talking about it, but right. talking about it to her son. Um, but it wrapped and it's really good. And I'm hoping, I, I, I just, it, it was really good. And I hope if you watch it, tell me what you think. I'd love to know. You can email a side b side podcasts with an s at gmail.com or dm us or facebook us or whatever because i would love to know your thoughts on that movie or that show excuse me just getting into the holiday spirit the family stone it's an oldie but a goodie i love it uh, it's just so good it's craig t nelson it's diane keaton rachel mcadams luke wilson oh gosh i know i'm forgetting some names but it's oh sarah jessica parker dermot mulroney mulroney it's a really good family i feel like it's the perfect family movie that just happens to be set at christmas Hmm. so i don't know this movie at all but just the fact of all the people you mentioned i would place a hundred dollars on the fact that it was made between 1995 and like 2000 I think it is 2005. Oh, well, there you go. I just lost $100. Again, Adam, not good at money. You can send that too. <laughs> just <laughs> just buy a lot of coffee. Just go ahead and Venmo me. Yes, it is 2005. No, see? So wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Again, go ahead and Venmo me. Also, if you're looking for something really fun, 12 dates of Christmas on HBO max is hilarious. Like I've never gotten into the bachelor or the bachelorette or anything, but this, I guess, in what I am imagining those shows to be kicks it up to another level because it's three people looking for dates to take home for Christmas. And there's just all kinds of twists and turns and drama. And it's great. And it's like a reality show. It's not. Yeah. It's a, re- it's a reality show. So they've got like okay. three, three people looking to take home love for the holidays and they are they have them like in a castle in Belgium or something. Um, Obviously. Because why else wouldn't you be in a castle in Belgium or wherever it's at? But <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm in a castle in Belgium. It's in it's in Belgium or Austria or some gorgeous place that I'm probably never gonna get to because you know, COVID nineteen. <laughs> But that's really good. And then um, The Flight Attendant, that's another, I am all over HBO Max these days. The Flight Attendant, it's got Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the premise, we talked about it before, the flight attendant wakes up next to a guy that's dead and she's trying to figure out what happened. Oh. Uh, before we jump into things, you want to do some shout outs? Absolutely. First of all, thank you. We got uh, some coffee bought for us 
And that's always so awesome. I want to say thank you to Melanie B who bought us some coffee. And then also it just says someone bought you coffee. So thank you, someone. You are awesome. And we really appreciate you. And the coffee is much appreciated because, you know, lots of editing. Have you listened to Adam ever? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just kidding. What you guys hear is like half of the times I interrupt. So, (laughs) or maybe, maybe, maybe like a fifth of the times I interrupt. So uh, that's a lot of cutting out the, the Adam stopping the, train of thought (laughs) i want to say thanks to um, quebec and prince edward island thank you so much for joining us in france hopefully i say this right i do not speak french so if i butcher this i so sincerely apologize but we still love you nouvelle aquitaine sounds good also in tuscany italy what what's the movie in tuscany uh isn't there one with uh diane lane yeah yeah tuscan tuscan i now i'm just looking at under the tuscan sun under the tuscan sun obviously i was so close (laughs) also in upper austria thank you back stateside what's up dallas texas yeehaw sorry about the cowboys Ooh, uh roanoke texas also moline illinois Peoria, Illinois. Man, California, you are bringing it. And I love it. Clovis, California. Pittsburgh, California. I didn't even know that was a place. Uh, Veselia, Hacienda Heights in San Francisco. Thank you to you. And also Colorado Springs in Colorado. And Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you. Shout out to you guys. All right, Adam, it's the big two, three. Woo! (laughs) Are you ready for this? Uh, I am ready for Gilmer's part two. <laughs> yes. All right. So it is week two of, I won't, ha- I won't make you do it, Adam, because Lorelai is not appreciating your voice when you do Gilmer's. This week, Adam, I'm going to finish off with something that I think will bring us full circle back to our very first episode when we talked about Star Wars. Yes. I'm going to say that. Caravan of Courage. Yes. And and then the Star Wars Christmas special. So we're going to. Yeah. We should never talk about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So to start things off on the second night of Kilmas, we have a little amuse-bouche of murder, if if you will. You know, bite-sized murder before we get to the main course. And hors d'oeuvre, if you will. Right. So it seems fitting that we start close to home, or I guess my home. Um, Mm. December 23rd, 1881, Fanny Gibbons, her brother Robert, and their next door neighbor, Emma Carrico, also known by some as Emma Thomas, because she took her uh, stepfather's last name. They were all kind of like chilling, hanging out at the Gibbons home in Ashland, Kentucky. Hmm. And did you say 1881? 1881. We're going way back. We are going back in time. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so <laughs> they were all hanging out over at the Gibbons home when someone broke in and beat all three of them with axes. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the house was set 
on fire. Emma's mother, remember, Emma is the neighbor. Emma's Mm. mother looked out and she saw what was going on. She saw that the house, she saw the blaze and she saw the fire. So she sounds an alarm and the neighbors all come rushing out. Unfortunately, when they find the three, they are no longer alive. A bricklayer named George Ellis confessed to the crimes. And he also was like, I'm not going down by myself. I didn't do this alone. So he fingered his coworker accomplices, William Neal and Ellis Croft. The three were taken to jail in Catlitzburg, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They were moved there to avoid a lynch mob. The three were then returned to Ashland in 1882 for a trial. William Neal and Ellis Croft were convicted after a 10-day trial and sentenced to death by hanging. They appealed. George Ellis was tried on May 30th of 1882. He was convicted, but given a life sentence. And remember, he's the first one to confess. Right. So he turned on the other two. Yes. But as a result of him turning, they got sentenced to death and he got life. But there was a, that wasn't good enough for the people in town. So another lynch mob formed. They went for George and they were able to remove him from his jail cell that night and Mm -hmm. lynched him in the city of Ashland. The other two men lost their appeal and Ellis Croft was put to death by hanging on October 12th of 1883 and William Neal was put to death on March 27th of 1885. The Ashland tragedy has been described in song a few times, most notably by a man named Elijah Adams, who was the half-brother of Richard Adams, who was part of the grand jury at William Neal and Ellis Croft's trials. So it all is connected. Yeah. Yeah. So next we have, Adam, I think this one is going to really pique your interest, I think, because... It's been turned into a song or songs so many times. We'll get to how many a little bit later, but they there's even been dramatic productions of this. Okay. Which is where I think your interest will be piqued. My mom had even seen a production of this man's life back home. This is no, this, oh. the story of Stagger Lee and the Christmas Smackdown. I mean, the, the name already, I'm like, wait a second. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like I've heard songs about Stagger Lee. I, yes, you probably have because yeah. there, he goes by many names. So his real name is Lee Shelton and he was a known criminal and a pimp. He went by the nickname Stagger Lee, Stack Lee, Stag Ole, Stag Lee. He inspired folk songs, which have inspired numerous other songs. He's also known by, there's so many nicknames, uh, Stagger, Stacka, Stago, all different variations on Staggerly. The very first song about him was published in 1911 and then recorded in 1923 by Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians. There's also a version that appeared in the Kansas City Leavenworth Herald around August of 1897. The article says it's understood that Professor Charles or Charlie Lee 
the Plains Thumper will play stackily in variations at the Kansas City Negro Press Association. So the first song that was published about him was in 1911, but it looks like there were performances, song performances about him even before that. Okay. A version by Lloyd Price reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1959. So I think that's the one I got to be thinking of. Like I got it in my head. Uh huh. That might be it. Exactly. So I say all that lead up to get to this. Lee Shelton was not a man to be messed with. You don't go trifling around with Lee. Mm. And William Billy Lyons discovered that at a huge cost. On Christmas night, 10 p.m. in 1895. So we've come up a few years. We went from 1881 mm-hmm. to 1895. Yeah. In St. Louis, Missouri, Lee, a.k.a. Stagger, and Billy were drinking and playing cards in the Bill Curtis Saloon. Well, what happens when you're drinking and you're getting rowdy playing cards? It tends to happen. An argument ensued because Billy, what was he? I don't know. I'm not victim blaming, but he <laughs> snatched Stagger Stetson off of his hat. Oh, don't mess with a man's hat. If you've seen one Western yeah. at all, you know you don't mess with a man's hat. They were expensive. Sometimes that was the most expensive piece of clothing that a Western person would wear, you know, as they're referred to as Western people. Western people. (laughs) (laughs) The common parlance, obviously. (laughs) Well, Stagger drew his 45. Shots were fired. Billy went down. Stag, of course, Stag retrieved his hat and he left. Billy, who had been shot in the abdomen, succumbed to his injuries. It was only one of five similar murders that day in St. Louis. I saw that line in an article and I was like, only? Only? Like, Like, (laughs) only one of five? Like, how many more were you planning on having? Like, how often do people shoot each other playing cards in St. Louis? Like it was, it was only one. It was the only one of five. I mean, come on. Yeah, it was a good day. (laughs) I mean, there was not a lot of gambling-related shootings today, so it's you know, (laughs) written by written by like the the worst person trying to be optimistic. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Oh, it's only one of five. I mean, hey, could have been ten. Yeah, whatever. You know, (laughs) like it was fifteen. So Stagger was uh, charged and charged with murder, and he was defended by a white attorney named Nathaniel Dryden. Dryden was the first attorney in the state of Missouri to gain a conviction of a white man for the murder of a black man. Think about that. Think about that Mm. in the 1800s. Yeah. On January 3rd, 1896, Lee was held on a $4,000 bond, which is equivalent to $100,000 today. On February 12th of 1896, Lee's indicted by a grand jury on first-degree murder. On June 25th of 1896, Stagger Lee is released on a $3,000 bond, which is paid by a pawnbroker named Morris H. Smith. On July 15th, Lee's trial (laughs) begins, and his attorney argues self-defense. Three days later, after the jury is split, seven vote murder, two vote for manslaughter, and three vote for an acquittal. Like, who are these? They're like, ah, he's good. 
Just let him go. Big big hat fans in the audience there. They were like, you don't mess with the man's hat. I mean, we should let him go. But, you know, we joke about it, but this is pretty monumental because this was an all-white jury on a trial for a black man for murder. So the fact that it wasn't unanimous, period, point yeah. blank. That's what you would assume. Right. So that says a lot about his attorney. And the power of hats. And the power of hats. So on August 26th of 1897, Nathaniel Dryden, who was a morphine addict, ended up dying after a drinking binge. Oof. In 1897, a second trial took place, and it only took the jury two hours to find Stackley guilty. Mm. He was sentenced to 25 years. On Thanksgiving, because you know holidays, we got to stick with the holidays. Yeah. On Thanksgiving in 1909, Stagger is released from prison and he's pardoned by Governor Joseph Wingate. So in the span of all these years, a whole lot has happened. Yeah. He's on trial and he's got it. He's there's a hung jury. Then he's going on another trial. He's convicted. And now he has gotten out. So in January, you'd think he'd want to stay out, right? But. Well, yeah. But, you know, a leopard can't change his spot. Exactly. So in January of 1911, Stack O'Lee pistol whips and kills William Atkins while robbing his house. So, of course, he goes back to prison again. Mm -hmm. February 8th of 1912, under immense pressure, Governor Herbert Spencer Hadley pardoned Stag. So this is his second pardon. His second pardon. This dude is like, why would he want to change his spots? He's like, I'm going to get out eventually. Yeah, well, I just get pardoned. He gets pardoned on March 11th of 1912. Lee Shelton dies of tuberculosis while still in the prison hospital. Even though he was pardoned, he'd gotten so sick, he was still in the prison hospital. But he was pardoned. Oh. So yeah. technically, he died a free man. Just incarcerated. <laughs> yes. A notice of his death was put in the St. Louis newspapers. And like we mentioned, songs about him have been made in just about every genre. Artists like Bob Dylan, The Grateful Dead, Neil Diamond, James Brown, The Isley Brothers, The Clash, even Elvis Presley. Elvis' song about Stagger is only available on bootleg. They've oh, all, wow. yeah, they've all sang and recorded songs about Stagger Lee. James Baldwin published poetry about him and... Our executive producer, my mom, like I mentioned, has seen a play mm -hmm. based on his life. <laughs> his story is one of the most recorded, revised songs in history. The list of performers is over 400. Since its initial recording, a new recording has been made every 10 weeks. Dang, that's I mean, it's a very, like, as soon as you said the name, and I've always, I grew up always wanting to be a backup singer because you only really needed to know, like, three phrases. And usually it was just repeating something that somebody else said. Yeah. And he, from everything I saw in, in the old backup singers, all you really had to do was, like, sway in the background and every once in a while change direction. And I was <laughs> like, that sounds like a great job. You get, you really don't got to memorize a lot because somebody's going to say it right before you. And then you just kind of, like, reaffirm it. And I just remember, oh, Staggerly, oh, Staggerly, as like the background guys. 
And as soon as you said that, I'm like, now it's stuck in my head. So I've literally pulled it up on Spotify so I can listen to it as soon as we get done recording. Because if not, I'm going to have a dream about Stagali tonight. I probably still will. Anyway. <laughs> you probably still will. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Stagali. So next we have the story of the Dawson family. So tobacco, 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 because apparently I got Star Trek in my head, my mind already, or Star Wars in my mind, sorry. Star, Okay. I saw Picard, so that made me think Star Trek, but I've got Star Wars on the brain for our last story, and I'm trying to say tobacco, so it came out tobacco. Uh, absolutely, tobacco. which was clearly a long lost cousin of Chewbacca. <laughs> right, they're from the same place. <laughs> yeah, Chewbacca. <laughs> Let me tell you, some tobacco was a little wacky sometimes. <laughs> So tobacco sharecropper Charles Dawson in North Carolina had a wife named Franny and they had seven children. He told them all to put on their Sunday best that he had just purchased for them. And he took them into town to take mm-hmm. a family photo. It was the one and only professional photo that this family ever had. I mean, it was a rare treat because they are a sharecropper family. They're not very they don't have a lot of money. So this was a mm-hmm. special occasion. This was a, Not everybody's got a camera. Right. So this was in 1929. So we have come forward a little bit more. Yeah. Still, not everybody has a camera. So, like completely in the 1900s. <laughs> so this photo was taken just a few days before Christmas. On Christmas Day, Charles set about methodically killing his family. He beat and shot Fanny and ultimately six of the seven children. His daughters, Carrie was 12, Maybelle seven, were on their way to their aunt and uncle's house when he shot them with a shotgun. And as if that wasn't enough, he then bludgeoned them before hiding their bodies in a tobacco barn. Then he returned to the house and found Fanny on the porch. Next is Marie, 17 heard the gunshot and screamed while James four and Raymond two hid. Sadly, Charles found Marie and shot her before turning the gun on the two young boys. Last was his four month old daughter, Mary Lou. All of the family members were found with their arms crossed and rocks under their head. I looked to see if there was a significance of rock placing rocks under their head and I couldn't find anything. Um, if you know the significance of that, I would love to understand why he did that. You know, what is the significance of placing the rocks under somebody's head after that? Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some meaning, but like I said, I couldn't find yeah. it. So after killing his wife and children, Charles then walked into the woods, paced around a tree, and took his own life. The lone Lawson survivor was the oldest boy, Arthur, who was 16. For whatever reason, Charles sent Arthur on an errand before the massacre occurred. We have no idea why he sent Arthur out. Charles Lawson's motive was never determined, but unproven rumors did begin to circulate about an alleged incestuous relationship between Charles and his 17-year-old daughter, Marie. And as a result of that relationship, Marie was alleged to be pregnant at the time of all of their deaths. Dr. Renee Carr, who's a clinical psychologist, said that murders in general 
are more likely to be committed by someone in the victim's family than a stranger. She also said that people who murder their family or a family member during the holidays are likely to have repressed anger, harbored hostility, jealousy, or frustration with that family member or what they represent, which kind of would lead more into that theory of maybe that rumor was true. She continues on to say, because holidays are expected to be happy times and family-filled, unhappy family members may experience a psychological break where they can no longer repress their uncomfortable thoughts or feelings of rage. Murders of this type are often reactive and unplanned. I'm going to say there was a little pre-planning here, just a little bit, but that's... Yeah, I mean, why take the... I mean, that's just incongruent to be like oh let's spend all this money on a family photo and no one will ever see it i'm sure he knew somebody was going to see it and he just maybe that was he wanted to leave a, a memory of a happier time i don't know all right this is the last one adam are you ready for this okay okay so on our first episode house of terror to the caravan of courage you mentioned mm -hmm. your love of Star Wars. You also mentioned this rare Christmas episode. So I felt like I had, when I saw this, I was like, ah. I also want you to know that when I was researching this, an article popped up titled The Star Wars Christmas Special That Almost Killed the Franchise. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> like to the point where it's like been buried. Like they've tried to get rid of it. Yeah. yeah you can't I, like really find a copy. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how bad it was. So it's like, yeah. all right. So this Star Wars Christmas episode actually does end in death, but not of mm. a franchise. That's good. okay. I was about to say that's good, but it's not good. It's a person. But you like the transition. I get what you're I did. Saying. I did. Yeah, well, I, was, I was with you. So beautiful 34-year-old Samina Amam was excited to do what many people are. She was excited to start her life with the man she loved, 41-year-old Roger Cooper. Her Christmas joy was on high. You see what I did there? Joy on high? I did, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, on, it's getting punny. <laughs> on this day, Christmas Eve, she left work. She stopped by a store. The store is Marks & Spencer. It's a multinational retailer that's based in London. Okay. When I looked them up, they specialize in selling clothing, home products, and food, mostly like on their own label. So to me, it kind of seemed like maybe a higher end of Target, like our Target. Yeah. yeah. Um, after looking at their website, too, it's a good thing they are based in London because they had some cute stuff. <laughs> Just a side note. Dangerous. Side note. Yeah. Side note. Um, so she picked up a bottle of Bellini, which if you don't know what Bellini is, it's a cocktail. Um, and she picked up some snacks. Samina and Roger had been in a relationship for two years. They were also co-workers. Okay. Roger also had a long-time girlfriend that Samina was just kind of tired of coming second place to. So this Christmas, it was all supposed to change in Samina's favor. The plan was that the couple would spend Christmas Day at Birmingham's uh, Malmaison Hotel. And they would ring in 2015 together, just the two of them. That okay. was the plan, or at least that's what Samina thought. What Samina didn't know was that while she was preparing 
for whom her new life with Roger, he was making plans along with his brother, David, that were much more sinister. So Samina and Roger met at Costco, where Roger was a manager at a Coventry location, and Samina was a regional marketing boss for several nearby locations. So Costco, like a lot of companies, had a policy against fraternization, especially amongst its senior staff members. But Samina and Roger, they'd fallen for each other, they ignored the rules, and they threw caution to the wind, and they spent two years in what... Jada Pinkett Smith would call an entanglement. Mm-hmm. And forbidden love is also is like that's historically even more attractive. That's it's like, it oh, makes it know, hot. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It's like yeah. you tell me Star-cross I can't lovers. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Samina had finally had enough and she gave Roger an ultimatum. Leave your girlfriend or it's over. Roger acted obligingly. So Roger, at this time, also had, on top of Samina and his longtime girlfriend, two other lovers. Roger getting around. Now, some stories say it was a longtime girlfriend. Some articles say it was a wife. I'm wondering if it was a common law type of a thing. But my thing is, still, longtime girlfriend slash wife, Samina, Mm -hmm. two other women. This dude looks like a toe, and he's got four women, (laughs) and I'm single? What is going on? Uh, I mean, maybe you should change your name to Roger and work for Costco. And look like a toe? <laughs> I was say, like, I mean, maybe it's the discount. This dude had to be funny or something because he's like, he is the most average looking, bald, plain. He looks like the, every dude you see on the street. And she's gorgeous. He had to be funny. There had to be something like that. He had a good personality, good sense of humor. Something. The heart, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, Roger admitted in court that he never really had any intentions on leaving his wife. But he feared that if he, after this ultimatum, if he had told her no, that not only would she go to his wife, she would also expose them at work and he was worried about his career. Yeah. Can't mess with that discount. Right. I mean, yeah. Anyway. So instead of facing it like a man and admitting that you cheated your dirt bag and owning it, uh, he felt the only thing he could do was enlist the help of his brother to help him handle the problem. I don't understand why his brother agreed to go along with it because I don't know what his brother was to gain out of killing I mean, himself. Roger just must be really persuasive. Dude, you've got four women and now you've convinced your brother to help you kill someone? What is your talk game like? Right. Pretty good, evidently. <sighs> the first attempt, yep, I said the first attempt, was planned for early in the morning on December 12th of 2014. Samina was a regular at a place called Suli Hull's Premier Inn. It says that she was a regular, and I'm wondering if it's because she worked at several locations, she was traveling a lot, and maybe that's why she was there, or, or maybe that's where she and Roger would spend a lot of time. Maybe a bit from column A, a bit from column B. Right. So that night, there was an office Christmas party, and her plan was to stay at uh, Sully Hull's. Roger told Samina that he had booked a room there and he had a surprise for her. 
Surprise, there was no room booked. David actually sat in the parking lot waiting for Samina to arrive because he had planned to abduct her. The brothers communicated using Star Wars codes. Oh 12 messages total, including Death Star complete, stay on target, you are expected, Vader, and look at the size of that thing. Wow. Yeah. Fortunately for her, or at least fortunately for that night, the plan failed. It's believed that the reason it failed is because the taxi dropped Samina off immediately in front of the door, like just yards away. So he had no opportunity to abduct her. So she made her way safely into the hotel and David sent Roger a message in broken French that translated to, there's no point, no score, the window is closed. Because they ran out of Star Wars quotes. Apparently. So they switched to broken French. (laughs) I mean, as you do. Don't you? Always, yeah. (laughs) Oui, oui, oui. Parlez-vous français. That's the only French I know. And the other French I know, I am not going to say because I do not want anybody that's in Nouvelle Aquitaine getting upset with us. Yeah, no, we don't need that. We just broke into the market. We don't want to get kicked out. (laughs) So just 12 days later, the brothers plot again. On Christmas Eve, four o'clock, Samina leaves the office shortly after Roger. They left separately to, you know, make the illusion that they weren't together. And they met up just a few minutes later. So she's got her luggage in her car. When her and Roger meet up, she grabs her luggage out of her car and she immediately jumps into Roger's Audi. The pair drive off to Leicester. Authorities think that Samina believed that this was to be a quick detour to David's, his brothers, before heading off to Birmingham. I Googled like the distance between Coventry to Birmingham And that seems like it's about 30 minutes, but Coventry to Leicester is an hour and it's in the complete opposite direction. So So that's that's, a roundabout way. Right. So that's why police think that she was like, oh, he must just be, you know, running an errand over to his brothers or something. She she obviously wasn't alarmed in any way because on the Mm. trip, she actually spoke to her sister and she told her sister she'd be home for Boxing Day, which if you don't know, Boxing Day is celebrated in the UK and Canada. And there's a couple other Commonwealth countries that celebrated. It was a day where traditionally employers would give their employees gifts, Christmas presents called boxes to celebrate the Christmas season. So Boxing Day, it's an actual official holiday. So the couple arrived at David's home in Leicester around five o'clock and it's believed that Samina was attacked instantly upon entering the home. The brothers uh, standing six, five and six, seven, Samina's five, two. I mean, it took nothing for them to overpower her. She was smothered with chloroform that had been purchased on eBay a few weeks prior. And some weird, odd combination of metallic elements, including antimony, cadmium, tin, mercury, and arsenic, was also given to Samina in a liquid form. So now, remember, she leaves work about four they meet up a few minutes later. They arrive about five. It's an hour's, about an hour's drive. So they arrive about five. Somebody, sometime between five and uh, 5.07 and 6.20, she's murdered 
By 625, Roger's already on his way back to Coventry. He left his brother to handle the situation to dispose of Samina's body. So trying to make people believe that Samina was still alive, when he got home, he sent himself a message that read, I'm fuming. I'm going to where I'm truly cared for. That was to be his alibi. Huh. That she left. That she left. Yes. David made quick work of disposing Samina's body. Pathologist stated that she'd been placed in her grave within a few hours of her death. She'd been wrapped in cling wrap and then placed in a sleeping bag immediately before David buried her. The brothers try to continue to cover their tracks. So someone moved Samina's car from Coventry to Leicester. They wiped it down and left it abandoned in Luton. I hope I'm saying this correctly. This was a lot of driving to cover their tracks because yeah. from Coventry, they go northeast to Leicester and then south an hour and a half to Luton. They're just crisscrossing the whole just island. All, all around, all around. So when Samina never showed to her family for Boxing Day, they immediately knew something was wrong and they contacted the police and the police, the police immediately launched Operation Ceramic and commenced a search for Samina, which apparently the UK police play no games with missing people. And I'm here for that. Yeah. You don't have to wait any amount of time. Somebody's missing. All right, let's go. Mm -hmm. So on January 4th of 2015, Samina's car was found in Luton, 65 miles from Coventry. Her purse, suitcases, and grocery uh, purchases were nowhere to be found. There were no fingerprints also found in Samina's car, not even her own. And the driver's seat was pushed way too far back for her height. Now, so remember, Samina's only 5'2". Right. And the brother's 6'5", six, 6'7". Six, yeah, 6'7", might be like sitting in the back seat. Yeah, seriously. Might as well just take that front seat out. When police got... Samina's cell phone records, they were able to place her traveling to Leicester with Roger, uh, with Roger. So this gives them cause to search Roger's house. And they found the Bellini, the cocktail that Samina had purchased in Roger's fridge. Mm -hmm. The snacks that she had purchased were in his cupboard and her GPS was in his loft, which is like an attic. It's an attic mm. room to us Americans. Americans. Authorities received a tip about a body and they found the plot where she had been buried on July, excuse me, on January 7th of 2015. Roger and David were arrested on suspicion of murder on January 7th as well. Two days later, they were charged with her murder. On October 21st of 2015, both men were found guilty of murder in a unanimous jury vote. By Christmas, one year after Samina's death, they were both behind bars, each serving 30 years. Okay, can I just that's say- swift. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. arrested, charged, in jail within a year? And then you look at somebody like our last story, Stagger Lee, went from like 1897 to what? 1909 or something before he was actually in jail? That's crazy. Talk about more swift, swift justice in the UK. Yeah. Man, man. <laughs> there you go. That's week number two of Gilma. I don't do it quite as deep as you, but 
that's okay. It's you didn't scare my dog, so it's <laughs> a <So> win-win. <laughs> but there you have it. That is this week's B-side. A man goes on a rampage with a samurai sword in Quebec City under the full moon on Halloween night. Two deadly women plot to extort a friend for money and a grisly Dexter-style murder plot in Portugal. Tune in to Murder Murder News every Friday for the wildest true crime cases making headlines each week. Check out Murder Murder News on YouTube and Instagram. All right. It is now time for the A-side. And each week, I look for something to share with you, Brooke, about media or movies or music. And I really haven't touched on books at all. And that is kind of weird because I've always been a voracious, I think, I think the word is first. I really like books. And voracious. I really like it. It is. You're right. And it's uh, I especially did that when I was a kid. Voracious. All right. Because I, I picked up that word out of one of them books. Uh, and I have right now sitting on my nightstand next to my bed, uh, six books that I am in the process of reading, um, because I'll start one and then I'll get another one and I'll start it. And then I'll have to like bounce back and forth and get a little confusing. Sometimes my brain gets the plots confused. Uh, but books have always been a big part of how I spend my time, uh, at least when I was in grade school and high school. In grade school, I read everything on our little library cart to the point where I had to start getting different books from my parents and start reading the same books my mom was reading, which meant I was reading like Tom Clancy books in sixth grade and probably reading about some stuff that I shouldn't have been reading about quite that young. But mm -hmm. uh, that's an entirely different uh, therapy session. Uh, but as I got into college, I was definitely more focused on movies and television and wasn't reading nearly as much. Uh, then I got engaged and my fiance at the time was living in California and I flew out there. We packed everything up and we moved her back to Minnesota. But on that car ride back was the first time that I had really dove back into books in any way, shape or form since I was in middle school. Really, uh, We read all of the Harry Potters that were out at the time out loud as we're driving back from California. Uh, over the course of, I think it took us four days. We read the, at that point, there were only like four books, three or four. We read all the books out loud. And I started to kind of fall back in love with reading and started to read more books. We would kind of, our thing was to read them out loud and we would take turns and that, you know, kind of became a performance aspect to it as well. And all of this came flooding back over the weekend because the last one of the last books that we read together was written by John LeCare, who passed away over the weekend. Uh, John LeCare, it was a British spy at one point who wrote spy novels and first started out mostly about the Cold War. But you're thinking, okay, British spy novels we've heard of them, you know, like Ian Fleming, James Bond. This has kind of all, you know, been done before. Uh, but what really separated him uh, and made his books different was the fact that whereas James Bond was this, you know, cool, handsome dude who 
always figured out a way to get by, but never really looked like he was trying that hard and he would solve things and he would, you know, figure everything out and get out of these horrible situations just the last second, right before the, you know, the fish with the lasers on him or anything, get him. Lakar's spies were a lot more like the guys in our last story. Uh, they were not handsome. Mm -hmm. They were not suave. They were not what you would expect of when you think of a British spy. They were sort of the guy that you wouldn't take a second look at when he walked in the room. And that was more based on reality and the type of spies that John Lacar had run into when he was a spy uh, working for uh, then MI6. So his most famous uh, character is called George, uh, George Smiley. Uh, he's described as a plump, ill-dressed, unhappy, but brilliant and relentless <laughs> spy. So just about as opposite of, of James Bond as you could absolutely get. Oh, and whereas J James Bond stories always get tied up in a nice little bow at the end uh, in some way, at least the movies and the books that I've read, you know, he gets, it may not always be, you know, everything works out great, but the bad guy usually gets his comeuppance. Uh, a lot of Lacar's books are more nuanced and messy and the ending doesn't always, doesn't give you the ending that you're always expecting. And as I remembered reading the, this book by Lacar, the one thing that drove me nuts is it was at a rather chaotic time in our lives and I could not remember the name of the book. So I started diving into Lacar's entire backstory and his catalog to try to find this book that I remember us reading. I know it was him, but I cannot remember anything about the story. I can't remember anything about you know, the title, then nothing. I just remember that it was by him and it was one of the last things that we read together. So as I'm diving in, I find out that this gentleman, John Lacar, as I had always known him, uh, was actually, that's a pseudonym. He was, uh, of course, many writers use pseudonyms, but he mm -hmm. was wrote his first book when he was still working for MI6. Uh, and he created an entire lingo about uh, the British spy uh, culture. So in his books, the Secret Intelligence Service, as it was called, or MI6, in the books it's called the Circus, and agents were called Joes, and operations involving seduction were honey traps, mm -hmm. and agents deeply embedded inside the enemy were moles, all words that have moved into common parlance uh, for the spy industry and, and from that into all the other spy novels and sort of this idea of using this lingo, just like the mafia absorbed the language from the Godfather after the Godfather came out, they were like, okay, well, since everybody knows that we'll use it too. Cause it was so popular. Jean Lacar was actually his upbringing kind of sounds like a lot of the stories that we, you have told me, Brooke, over the last 23 episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not have a good, you know, he had a turbulent and a rough childhood. So his father was a con man. 
So Jean Le Carre, as we know him, was born David John Moore Cornwell in Poole, Dorset in 1931. His father, Ronald, was described by the New York Times as a amoral, flamboyant, silver-tongued con man Dang. who palled around with celebrities and cooks. So celebrities and crooks, not cooks. Probably some cooks, well, maybe too, some but mostly cooks too. celebrities. Probably some cooks. So this Man's guy was eat. true. Probably didn't pay for it because he was in and out of jail uh, for <laughs> fraud a bunch of times. Uh, his mom, so the gentleman who would go on to be referred to as Jean Le, or Jean Lacar, his mother left when he was five, walked out of the family house and walked out in the family and went to live with another man. Uh, Lacar didn't really have any memory of his mom. He grew up with his dad uh, and his dad, as we have mentioned, was nothing but a con man. And he was trying to create, he always said he was trying to create a better life for his children. So he sent David, uh, David, who would become John LeCar, off to prep school. And eventually, David gets recruited into the MI6 and the domestic counterpart, MI5, as a spy. So instead of taking the turn that many of you know the individuals in your story do where they've had a rough childhood and something goes horribly wrong and they take a dark turn he appears to have kind of made the best out of a bad situation uh he even lived a triple life at one point uh he was a, a diplomat a triple, a spy. Life? triple life so he had he was a diplomat he was a spy and he was a novelist all at the same time all right which is which is kind of impressive. Uh, so he poses a British diplomat and uh, his work included conducting interrogations, tapping phones and organizing break-ins and running agents in the 1960s. So sure. this guy not only wrote about the spy life, he lived the spy life and he was married at one point. They were divorced in 1971 and <laughs> Uh, it was probably some foreshadowing that in his book written in 1961, uh, the faithless wife of the main character is named Anne, which was the same name as his actual wife. <laughs> so a little bit of a little bit of foreshadowing that that probably wasn't going to work out long right? term. Now, John Lacar has had his books. He wrote over 23 novels have been made into a ton, a ton have been made into films. Uh, and I didn't even realize how many had and how many I had already seen and how many are literally on my like queue on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh, some of the most famous would be The Constant Gardener with Ralph Fiennes and Rachel Weisz. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've seen almost every Rachel Weisz movie there is on the planet. Uh, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy which was a Gary Oldman, Benedict Cumberbatch movie back in 2011. Very, very good. The Tailor of Panama, which had Jeffrey Rush and uh, Pierce Brosnan, who also played Bond. So he's kind of been on both sides of the uh, spy thing. One thing I did notice is that in all of these movie adaptations, they're played by good looking dudes. There's not this plump you know, sort of like forgettable dude, uh, <laughs> like George Smiley. Uh, another one was The Night Manager, which had Hugh Laurie and 
uh, Tom Hiddleston. He plays, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he plays uh, Loki, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, so a lot of his work has been made into movies and television series. Uh, and so if you have never seen any of his stuff or didn't even realize it, like I did, I didn't, I had seen three of the four of those already. And I have the night manager, the entire, like queued up in Netflix, ready to go. Or no, it's prime ready to go. And I haven't watched it yet. I had no idea that it was a common theme that these were all John Lacar books at one point. So uh, that was pretty exciting to learn. The, the worst part though of, this entire deep dive into his back catalog is that after three days, because I, I found out about, heard about his passing on Saturday, uh, after what is now four days of searching and delving into his entire back catalog and reading some synopsis of books, I still have no idea what book we read back in <laughs> 2007. <laughs> <laughs> to to the point where I am now doubting myself that we read a Jean Lagarre book, or maybe we read something by somebody else whose name was similar, and my brain just attributed it to him. But I have looked at the synopsis of every one of his books that were out before 2007, and I cannot find any of them that remotely connect with any memory other than I can see myself taking the book in our two-bedroom townhouse in Bowling Green and putting it on the shelf right next to the picture of my daughter holding my son that I still have in my apartment today. And I can see LeClaire on the spine. But I think most of that may be a completely fabricated memory. And uh, if anyone has any idea what, what does book the cover I look like? Read, Do you know? Uh, you it's a it's a white it's a white book. All I can see is the spine. It's a white book with the the John Lecay. I think it was a blue cover and a, and a white spine with black lettering. Uh, and I am probably going to drive myself absolutely insane trying to figure out what what book this is. Uh, but I am still looking. Uh, however, by looking, I found all these connections and I would highly recommend to anyone who likes spy movies and spy novels to take a little bit of a deep dive into Jean Leclerc, uh, Lacar, not Leclerc. I live on St. Clair. His name's Lacar. It's very confusing. Uh, <laughs> and maybe if anyone is a fan of his work, uh, could recommend to me one of their favorite books that I could then read uh, because at this point, I think I'm just going to have to read everything to figure out what I've already read before. Because at some point, it's going to click. And if nothing clicks, then I'm probably going insane. A little from column A, a little from column B. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> so uh, John LeClaire passed away this last Saturday. Um, if you have never dove into any of his works, I highly recommend it. Uh, it will give you something to pass the time during any lockdown that you may be in. Uh, and Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy is often considered his best move, you know, work that was adapted into a movie. Uh, however, The Constant Gardener is a haunting and hard movie to deal with sometimes. And I think maybe even better 
because Ralph Fiennes and Rachel Weisz are very, very, very excellent in that. And it's a movie that I've enjoyed for a long time and never knew was a John Le Carre work. So check those out. Great man. Maybe driving me insane. I'm trying to look at like different books by him to see if anything looks. Yeah, no, it's the, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Going crazy. I mean, I don't doubt that you are, but I still would like to help you find the book. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You know, you're like, yeah. no, no, Adam, you're totally going nuts, but let's uh, let's finish this one thing off. <laughs> Before uh, we let you go insane, let's just find this book. Yeah, yeah, because now you're going to be like, oh, I want to know too a little bit. Uh, <laughs> All right. So uh, definitely check it out. Uh, I'm probably going to watch The Night Manager this week. Uh, just because it's been on my queue forever. And this is the next push I need to dive into it. All right. Are you sure it's not the legacy of spies? I don't know. I'm not sure about anything. Okay. All right. So is that the A side? That is the A side for this week. And I will gladly welcome any uh, any help from anyone if we can figure out what book I read 13 years ago. <laughs> All right. So if you need, if you have any information for Adam, you can email us a side B side podcasts with an S at gmail.com. You can also get to us on Instagram. It's a under a side underscore B side underscore podcast. I'm trying to talk too fast. Uh, Also Facebook is a side B side podcasts, facebook.com. We have a Twitter. It's a side B side pod. So you can message us on Twitter as well. And you can also check out our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. We've got some really cool merch there. All of our source material is linked on our website. We have photos from cases on our website. We also have YouTube um, and we link our YouTube on our website as well. And um, you can support the podcast several ways. You can do that. You can log on to Apple and leave us a review, leave us a like, leave us a review. I'm not saying five stars, but I mean, if your heart is beckoning to you five stars, then <laughs> do what your heart tells you. <laughs> yeah, just, just, listen, just listen to your heart. Listen to your when, heart. When, when, he, when we're calling to you. <laughs> Also, you can uh, log on to buy me a coffee. Um, and because I do need lots of coffee to edit the podcast. Yeah, lot to get through. <laughs> also, we have a Patreon as well. And Adam, next week is Christmas. What should we do? Should we do a very short, short episode? We don't want to take a break. I mean, I, I just. I no, I'm, I, I, I got no plans, so. Okay, so we'll be back for Christmas a, then. Yeah, we'll be. I'll be. We can. We can do a shorter one. I'll, if I haven't gone completely insane by then, uh, if I if I have gone completely insane, then we'll probably just need to do a very short one. <laughs> just a lot of blubbering on the A side. <laughs> oh man! All right, so there you have it. A side, B side, podcast dot square dot site is another great way to support the podcast as well and anything that you do 
uh, also goes to the production and the promotion of the podcast. So thank you so much. We love you and wear your mask. The vaccine is here. I don't know if you're for it or not, but lots of people plan on taking it, which means that sooner than later, we'll get things back to normal. So we just got to keep doing what we're doing, wearing your mask, social distance. And, you know, if you need company, we are here for you. All right. There you go. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you for joining us for another episode of A-Side, B-Side podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, we'd appreciate it if you'd head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And make sure you come back next Friday for another episode.